Hey, it's Carl Quintanilla, and I'm one of the hosts of Tech Check, new from CNBC. Join me, John Ford, and Deirdre Bosa as we deliver compelling, in-depth reporting and analysis of the tech industry. We're going coast to coast, bringing you must-have market insight into new technology and trends from some of the most iconic companies. Check out today's episode of Tech Check and subscribe today. Good Monday morning. Welcome to the premiere of Tech Check, our new show about the business of technology on CNBC. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. What a news day uh, to kick off our premiere. Microsoft making another bold acquisition today. Satya Nadella is going to talk nuance, the company he's buying. Tech policy and regs, a key issue of the moment. Intel's Pat Gelsinger joins us ahead of the White House Chip Summit today. And Uber announcing a new cycle high on mobility. Dara Khosrowshahi is going to join us in another Tech Check exclusive. D. Can't wait for that. And of course, Carl, tech has become such a dominant market story. So we will also be covering the biggest stories and opportunities for investors. Today, Alibaba shares surging following a huge antitrust fine. Tesla is higher after an upgrade over at Canaccord. And Bitcoin closes in on another record high ahead of Coinbase's listing this week. Much more on all three of those stories, John. Yeah, Deirdre, today's most important thing in tech, though, cloud and AI growth strategy that's reflected in Microsoft's near $20 billion bid, including debt for nuanced communications, in what would be Microsoft's second largest acquisition ever behind LinkedIn. Now, buying nuance is an important step in expanding Microsoft's presence in healthcare, and the company has said cloud transformation is now moving from a consumer focus where it started deeper into industries. That's where the competition is. Nuance could pave the way for deeper industry relationships in cloud and AI even outside of healthcare. The, the $16 billion number, by the way, represents a 23% premium over Friday's close. If you don't include debt, you're looking at $16 billion for Nuance. And you can see the impact on Nuance stock this morning, right now up about 17%. More from our interview with Satya Nadella uh, later this hour. But uh, Carl, this is exactly the kind of story that we are centered on here on Tech Check, the meaning behind it. You see uh, AWS in the cloud bigger than everybody else. So if you're Microsoft, if you're Google, if you're IBM, if you're Oracle, how do you catch up? Well, the game here is not just top line growth, it's also profit. So if you're Satya Nadella, you're probably thinking about how do I leverage my strengths in enterprise, in software to get more value to customers. This nuance play going deep in healthcare is one attempt to do that. That's a great point, John. And, you know, we talk so much about the size of the players, the, the giants in technology. But, D, when you're talking about an industry as large and as complex as healthcare, um, it's the ecosystem that is going to be more important than any single application. And that was certainly the way Nadella tried to frame it with John this morning. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, healthcare and big tech has always been fraught with obstacles. I think back to Google's project Nightingale, where it was a project to collect the personal healthcare data 
of so many didn't exactly inform patients a controversial step there. You had Amazon's JV with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan shut down after three years. And John, IBM and Watson didn't pan out exactly the way that I think IBM would have hoped in some of its customers. But is this the right moment? And I know we're going to talk about this later. Can Microsoft pull this off in terms of antitrust? Um, can they achieve what sort of other tech giants have been slow to do in this healthcare sector, which is really seen as the next big front in big tech where they can go to after search, advertising, all of these other businesses, cloud, that they have been so successful in? Well, Deidre, a lot of them have been pushing. And I think, uh, you know, with the traditional players especially, a lot of them will try to steer clear of M&A in certain cases, go deeper into it in others. But I, I think really what it comes down to is the different strategies for growth how how well they can create these case studies that show real productivity enhancement, especially during this time as we're heading out of the pandemic. We hope uh, businesses are open to completely changing the way they do things and making big investments. And speaking of big investments, let's talk about semiconductors. Uh, the president is set to meet with CEOs of Alphabet, Samsung, Dell, GM and others at the top of the next hour in a summit called to address the global chip shortage. Uh, one of those CEOs joins us now, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger, in a Tech Check exclusive. Uh, Pat, great to have you. You can't think chips and the U.S., certainly domestic manufacturing, without thinking Intel first and foremost. You recently announced that you're starting with a $20 billion investment in Foundry and really building that capability here. What do you want to hear from the Biden administration and what do you want to say? Well, John, you know, first, great to be on the show. Great to be with you and the team. Great to be on the inauguration of uh, Tech Check uh, with you. Uh, you know, for our discussion with the uh, White House today and with the uh, president, clearly we've seen the motivation on the part of the CHIP Act. And now it's time to get that funded. And so getting the funding in place, as was seen as part of the administration's uh, Job Act proposal, we think that's a great thing to get underway because we have to start building more capacity across the world. We've become way too dependent on too small of a footprint in Asia. We need a more balanced supply chain globally. Intel is ready to step into that. I announced two fabs uh, uh, just last month in our Arizona. We're ready to put the next ones in place in the U.S. And it's just so critical that the administration, that we see Congress step forward, get this funding in place, start that acceleration of the industry, because these take years to build up. And we have to build a more diverse supply chain, leading capacity, trailing capacity, solve the auto industry shortages as rapidly as possible, but build long-term flexibility as well. Pat, um, TSMC and Samsung are companies based in Asia that do have significant domestic uh, chip fab presence here in the U.S. Is there a particular benefit that the administration should look at to having not only domestic chip manufacturing, domestic fabs, but fabs that are run by U.S. companies in particular? Uh, we believe so. Very much the case that we want to have the R&D, the research, the ownership of the technology, not just the manufacturing by American companies on American soil. And to us, that's part of what we mean by a more balanced uh, footprint across the world. And 
leadership in core technologies in semiconductors are foundational for every aspect of the digital lives that we're all experiencing. And everything that we've seen through COVID is we were on this path, John, of more of our lives becoming digital and COVID just accelerated that dramatically. It isn't just manufacturing, it's control and influence on the total technologies that go behind it. And that's what we believe is essential to be considered as part of today's discussion. Pat, help our viewers understand. I mean, everything you're saying seems like a no-brainer. More, more self-reliance on infrastructure, more self-reliance on chip supply. Where is the friction going to come from as the policy is formulated? What is the opposing view, if you can even think of one? Is it the, is maybe yeah, it's the know, dollar cost? Think, yeah, and we do think there is you know, certain aspects of this that I just say it's a no-brainer, right? It underlies every industry, American competitiveness. Oh, this is so straightforward. But there's always been this view that, hmm, how much of this is industrial policy versus just letting the markets decide? Also, you know, hmm, you know, if they're building factories in the U.S., but the intellectual property is controlled elsewhere, is that okay? You know, we'll just say this is the time. The U.S. used to be 20 plus years ago at 37 percent of global supply. Today, we're at 12% and headed to less than 10. This is like the most critical technology and we're gonna lose control of that supply chain. We must act now. We must not only flatten that, but start the rise. And I believe our moonshot should be that a third of the supply of semiconductors should be back in American soil by American companies. And we are so excited to see that response that there's bipartisan support for this approach in the government. We also believe that needs to be the case in Europe. There needs to be a balanced supply chain, leadership technology so critical for every aspect of our nation's leadership. And COVID has just accelerated that dramatically. Right. And Pat, it's Deirdre. Good morning. As you say, the U.S. share has gone down and Asia has increased. This morning, Chinese tech giant Huawei pointed to the U.S., blamed the U.S. for the global chip shortage, talked about sanctions leading to stockpiling. I wonder how much you think a role sanctions have played and would the easing of them help the shortage but come at the cost of national security? Well, we believe there is a set of challenges here that need to be considered. And we've always been very much aligned with free trade, supporting that in a global basis. And we do believe that, you know, our ability to conduct business in Europe and in Asia and in China, you know, if they want to buy our products, please let them build in our products, because that allows me to invest more in R&D and more in manufacturing. But we do also see the critical aspects of national security as well. And part of this near-term semiconductor challenges is building the supply chain to meet the national semiconductor needs of our defense, of our 5G infrastructure, and not just the auto industry. And we see that full set of things come back to the same thing that needs to happen. We need more manufacturing. We need more R&D on these critical technologies on U.S. soil. And that's exactly what's at the center of the discussion today. Pat, we're talking about chips driving the future. Let's talk about uh, driving it literally. We're talking to Uber CEO Dara Khashrashahi uh, a little bit later. And you, your Mobileye unit, is announcing a deal today for autonomous driving and, and transportation. Um, I, I'm not sure how squarely Mobileye fits into the vision that you've laid out for Intel 2.0. So talk for a moment about where it does fit, the degree to which you might spin Mobileye out, 
and the degree to which autonomous driving is an example of the very sort of technology that you think the U.S. needs to build up chip resources for? Well, one of the things about Mobileye, and as I've come and met that team, first, they are just killing it. Right? They are doing so well as a business. And underlying the uh, platform that they're building is silicon. Now, they need huge amount of silicon. Also, things like uh, LiDAR is based on silicon photonics. You know, they need the AI resources. So we have AI acceleration in silicon. So, so much of what they're doing is leveraging the rest of the company. And I'll say, boy, you know, is that a business that we want? Man, we're seeing this huge expansion and acceleration of their initiatives because they get to leverage the rest of Intel. And for that, I'm thrilled to see what they're doing. The UDELF uh, announcement that you referred to, John, you know, is building autonomous uh, delivery capabilities on the Mobileye platform. We're also starting to see incredible momentum on many of the car manufacturers betting on Mobileye, so huge efforts there. You know, and it really is the underlying silicon technologies. It's the AI, the mapping platform, but then also being responsible with respect to the safety systems and how you make it truly acceptable in a balanced view of safety and risk and how that's built into the platform. So they're just doing so well. And I would have no intentions to ever consider any other path than the one that we're on with them today. I also hmm. would expect that we'll find other business areas like Mobileye that we're building up silicon, world-class software and AI capabilities to become more vertically centric in different markets because you truly need that total end-to-end -end view from the platform through the software and then partnering with the key vendors like Udelp who deliver the solutions to the marketplace. So quite excited about today's announcement. All right. You heard it here first. Intel staying in the driver's seat with Mobileye. Pat, thank you. Pat Gelsinger, thank CEO you. of Intel. Great inaugural guest, uh, John. By the way, um, as we launch this new show, we want you to know that we want to hear from you. We're going to solicit views from viewers. We want you to write in and participate. It does bring us to this morning's crowdsource. In your opinion, what story in tech does not get covered enough? You can tweet us at CNBC Tech Check, and we'll show some of the best answers later in the hour. D. Carl, Uber CEO Dara Khosra Shahi is up next. We are just getting started here on Tech Check. Let's get a gut check on Tesla this morning. Canaccord takes the stock to a buy. Price target 1071. They're talking about uh, what they call a several year lead in EVs and aggressive expansion into energy storage. As the Catalyst D, we talked to the analyst in the last hour, uh, and he said the street might make the mistake of thinking it's all about cars. <laughs> There's a lot more to that story. Meanwhile, big news from Uber this morning announcing March was the best month for gross bookings in the company's history as the company benefits from the broader economy opening back up. Dara Khosra Shahi, the CEO of Uber, joins us now in another Tech Check exclusive. Dara, it's great to see you and welcome. Thank you. Congratulations on the new show. Thank you very much. Now, I know that bookings are booming, but supply, that is the number of drivers on the platform, remains an obstacle. Uber is spending $250 million on incentives for drivers. Is that enough? Are you willing to spend more if necessary? Well, uh, we certainly are going to lean into supply, and it's a great problem to have. 
Uh, and this is not only in terms of the Uber mobility business, but the delivery business continues to boom as well. We talked about uh, annual run rate exceeding $52 billion. And I think most companies in the world will want to have more demand uh, than supply. So it's a first-class problem to have. But we're absolutely leaning into supply. And the earnings that our drivers are earning in, are pretty extraordinary. You've got in New York City with incentives, drivers earning an average of $37 an hour. Same thing with Honolulu or Philadelphia. So there are great flexible earnings opportunities. Uh, people are getting out again. Uh, and the reopening, I think, can be, uh, can be great for everyone involved. Right. So to be clear, Dara, does that mean you are willing to spend more if need be down the road? Well, we are absolutely looking to balance supply and demand. And if we need to continue to lean in to bring drivers out uh, into safe earnings opportunities, we'll do what we need to. Dara, uh, good morning and welcome. When I think about Uber these days, I think about DoorDash uh, because they seem to be on this perhaps more profitable trajectory than you guys, initially with fewer resources and really leaning into a a subscription model and and partnerships to drive that. What do you do, not just in response, but as part of those same trends around beefing up subscription, the loyalty of your customer base to enhance profitability down the line? Well, I think the difference of Uber than really any other provider out there is our unique position in allowing people to go anywhere and essentially get anything that they want uh, in the local city that they live in and also doing so on a global basis. We have a truly global position that no other competitor, either in mobility or delivery, has. Uh, And this allows us to lean into our subscription product is a subscription not just for delivery of food or groceries or pharmacy or alcohol when Drizzly joins uh, the family as well, but also subscription to getting discounts on mobility and on a global basis. So we have local competitors on mobility. We have local competitors in delivery. It's a growth business. So I think a lot of people can succeed, but we are in a unique and differentiated position than any of the other players out there. Dar, um, Kramer had some nice things to say this morning about Drizzly. I wonder if you can give us a little more color. We had you on, on the announcement. I'd love to hear more. Also, back then, we asked you about the potential for cannabis to be folded in. And, you know, New York State has made some moves on that front. And Cuomo has talked about letting delivery services expand that business so that more people can participate. Do you think that that pot is boiling now? Well, we're thrilled uh, about the Drizzly acquisition. Obviously, we've got to go through a review to make sure that uh, the acquisition is appropriate and closes. We're confident about that, but that will take time. Uh, And for us, what Drizzly is, is all about is what we call our fast and frequent strategy, which is what are the types of deliveries that a high percentage of consumers are going to want delivered fast into their home and are quite frequent? Uh, And we think obviously food, grocery, pharmacy, and alcohol are part of that category. Drizzly is absolutely the category leader in the U.S. And we think our global profile can help them expand outside of the U.S. at a vastly accelerated pace as well. Uh, When cannabis, uh, when the road is clear for cannabis, when federal laws come into play, we're absolutely going to take a look at it 
But right now with grocery, with food, with alcohol, et cetera, we see so much opportunity out there and we're going to focus on the opportunity at hand. Dara, this morning you also reiterated your 2021 adjusted EBITDA profitability target. But I wonder, I know a lot of people wonder, um, when is Uber profitable after overhead? Is that quarters or is it years away? Are you able to make even a very broad estimate or say that you'll even get there? Well, when we talk about adjusted EBITDA uh, profitability getting there this year, we mean profitability after overhead on an EBITDA basis. So all-in profitability, and that will include businesses that we're leading into, like grocery, where we will be losing money and investing just because the opportunity is so big. And then we will have businesses like our mobility business that are a bit more mature, where we have stronger margins, essentially able to fund some of these growth businesses. So we think we're going to have a combination of profitable businesses. We're going to have a combination of businesses that are very, very early in their growth trajectory that is going to set us up for long-term top-line growth and margin improvements. The first improvement we want to get to is overall profitability, and we're confident we will this year. Dara, last question on regulation. In the UK recently, you guys reclassified drivers as workers, characterized it as turning a page. Uh, critics, however, have called it sort of this half step because they're not full employees. One of your competitors in Europe, JustEatTakeaway.com, is actually making their drivers full employees in places like the UK, France, and Spain. The CEO wrote not long ago, how can we employ tens of thousands of people when this is apparently impossible for others in the exact same business? Just ask you to respond to that and tell us if that could ever be sort of in your future, making drivers full employees. Well, we want to give drivers what they want. And Over and over again, drivers in the U.S. or drivers in the U.K., all over the world, they want the flexibility that comes with using your system. Uh, If you employ someone on a full-time basis, you're not going going to be able to give them the flexibility to work whatever hours they want, to work for competitors if they want to, to work wherever they want, if they want to work around their home or if they want to come into the center of the city. Uh, 75, 80 plus percent of drivers say that they want that flexibility. And the worker designation in the UK actually looks very much alike to our position of independent contractor, uh, giving maximum flexibility to workers, but also giving them benefits uh, such as healthcare benefits or time off, et cetera. So we do believe that this worker designation is the best of both worlds. And the most important thing is it's actually what drivers want on the system. Right, but perhaps not what the regulators want. Uh, Anyways, Dara, thank you very much uh, for being with us today on our debut. Dara Khazrashahi, CEO of Uber. Thank you. Coming up, what Satya Nadella told us this morning about Microsoft's deal for Nuance. But first... Founded LinkedIn, invested in Coinbase and sits on Microsoft's board. Investor Reid Hoffman on cryptocurrency, artificial intelligence, and what trends he's betting on now. That's coming up after this break. It is news update time. Rahel Solomon has it. Rahel? Hi, John. Hello, everyone. Let's start near Minneapolis, where more than 100 people protested after a black man was shot dead during a traffic stop. Some of the protests turned violent, and police say that about 20 stores were looted. The shooting happened just miles from where Derek Chauvin is being trialed. 
tried rather for the death of George Floyd. In Georgia, three police officers have been shot and wounded and a suspect is dead following a police chase early this morning. Police say that they stopped the car for going 111 miles an hour on the highway before the car stopped and then took off again. Iran is accusing Israel of sabotaging a key nuclear site. Israeli media is reporting that the country's spy service is behind the incident that knocked out the power at the uranium enrichment plant. Israeli government has not acknowledged any involvement. And Britain's parliament holding a moment of silence to remember Prince Philip. Several members of the royal family also paid tribute to the late prince this morning, including Prince William and Harry. Guys, you're now up to date. I'll send it back to you, Deidre. And welcome back to Tech Check, the new home for tech coverage here on CNBC. I'm Deirdre Bosa with Carl Quintanilla and John Ford and Julia Borston joining us as she will frequently on the show with her great reporting and interviews. First, let's take a quick look at stocks. Tech underperforming Tesla at the top of the S&P and the Nasdaq. Apple lower by more than 1%. And check out Bitcoin nearing another all-time high, which, Julie, is a good point to turn it over to you. Over. Thank you so much, Deirdre. Well, this week's biggest debut besides ours, of course, is Coinbase, and it's coming in a direct listing. Our next guest is an investor in Coinbase, and he joins us now, Greylock founding partner and LinkedIn founder, Reed Hoffman. Reed, thanks so much for joining us in our first show today. Uh, my pleasure and honor. I look forward to uh, catching this show regularly. Now, before we get into crypto, Reed, as you do sit on the Microsoft board, I wanted to get your take on this big deal, Microsoft buying Nuance for $16 billion. What do you think that Microsoft's ownership could do for Nuance in the expansion of its capabilities, having seen it yourself, having sold LinkedIn to Microsoft? Well, LinkedIn, we saw this amazing combination of the kind of network that it already built together with the amazing platform technologies that Microsoft brings. And in in the case of Nuance and healthcare, Azure and uh, the AI services that are part of it will all be part of accelerating that digital transformation of healthcare, which I think, you know, obviously, you know, given pandemic and other kinds of things is a super important thing for overall society. And one of the other things that I learned on the LinkedIn side is how good Satya and his team are at, at actually uh, integrating companies, uh, both operationally and culturally. Uh, they've done a great job with LinkedIn. They've done a great, great job with GitHub. You know, so you know, one, one can be uh, very positive about you know, what that integration will look like also with Nuance. Now, Reed, give me some perspective from the Microsoft side. You've been sitting on the board for many years. This is a big investment into AI, something I know that you have been very invested in for for a long time now. Why do you think Microsoft is making this investment? Well, artificial intelligence, uh, the set of technologies that are going on right now, is the exponential amplification of the software transformation of industries. Uh, Because with all of the data and almost kind of like self-programming and accelerated programming that AI happens, this allows you to take basically almost every industry to kind of a new level uh, with what software can mean. Everything from um, analytics and decisioning to product qualities. And you're already seeing that in things like, for example, I'm also on the board of OpenAI, where you see a transformation of games and storytelling. You see transformations of of customer experiences because they make GPT-3 available as a set of APIs to companies. And there's, 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 I think, 300 startups that are already using it. That gives you a sense of how much AI is going across all industries already. 
Uh, Reed, so fascinating. And I know that this is something that you're you're very much watching that expansion of AI. But I want to make sure also to get your thoughts on Coinbase, which, of course, you invested in. They're about to do a direct listing. You yourself have done IPOs. You also have SPACs. Tell me, why do you think a direct listing makes sense here? And what can this tell us about the coming trend about how companies are increasingly going to want to go public? Well, I think that there are three great paths, uh, IPOs, direct listing, SPACs. I think they choose differently for different uh, companies. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not on, uh, in, privy to the inside discussions at Coinbase in terms of how they decided direct listings, but classically direct listings are uh, kind of like the, well, we, we actually just want to kind of uh, uh, put this out there in a way that kind of is, is, is everyone's participation right away. You don't have the kind of classic lockups and other kinds of discussions from the other uh, paths. And, and, it, and, it, and it, it, the companies that do this are already so well known from their leading industry perspective, uh, I think successfully the ones that do this, um, are that I think that, the, um, uh, that that's kind of a, the why people choose uh, direct listings. I think there's uh, reasons to choose e- any of the three. And I think obviously any company that's going out uh, that, that, that's well um, positioned for the public market uh, it, you know, is a good thing in any of the three paths. Well, Reed, there's certainly a lot of talk now about Coinbase's big move this week. The idea that this this move to go public via direct listing could really represent a tipping point for cryptocurrency. Where do you see cryptocurrency going from here? Well, so um, in, in crypto, one of the things I did is I wrote an article about in 2015 about how uh, the cryptocurrency is a transformation that is not just currency, but also assets and platforms, platforms leading to smart contracts. I think this is part of realizing that this is part of the infrastructure now, that, that part of the Coinbase saying, hey, actually, in fact, uh, these cryptocurrencies will exist, they'll continue to develop, there'll be a range of them, uh, and that they will serve different functions. Uh, you know, one of the things, obviously, we've been seeing uh, in the last, uh, you know, kind of couple months is this kind of really amazing and mind-boggling thing around non-fungible tokens, always referred to as NFTs. You know, we, Greylock actually made, you know, two as yet undisclosed seed investments because we think that this is actually going to be one of the many areas in crypto that new things that people haven't seen before will be developed. And this is actually part of, of course, what's great about tech investing is, is, is what are the absolutely new things or the reinventions of industries uh, that cause, uh, you know, kind of like uh, new products and services that, that you know, make our lives better. Well, Reed, I'm, I'm very interested in hearing more about that NFT, those NFT investments that you made. And I hope you'll come back on and tell us more about those. But we only have time for one more question. And I want to ask you about this concern about voter suppression in Georgia. I know you've been politically involved in the past. And this weekend, you're on a call about this issue with other business leaders. What do you think the role of businesses, of CEOs is right now on this issue? Too often, the notion of business is to be inclusive by saying, say nothing about politics. But they don't realize that actually a pro-society, pro-business, nonpartisan approach about key things that have us be a healthy society, stability in the rule of law, an ability for everyone to feel like they're enfranchised in the democracy is actually a pro-business topic. And I think that it's very important that business leaders realize they are leaders in society. They should speak up on these kinds of topics, saying, no, no, actually, in fact, trying to rejigger voter laws to make uh, certain classes of voters impossible or much, much harder to vote 
is bad for society and therefore bad for business. This isn't a partisan issue. This isn't red versus blue. This is an American issue. And business leaders should be American leaders here to say this is what's good for business is to have a healthy, stable democracy and therefore to speak out against restrictive voting laws. Well, Reed, we appreciate you joining us on our debut day of Tech Check to talk about these issues. And we hope you'll come back very soon to talk more about crypto and those NFT investments. Thanks for joining us. Delighted. And coming up, the presumed clubhouse hack that it seems is not a hack. But first, you can listen to Tech Check on the go. Download, subscribe and enjoy the Tech Check podcast available now on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher and more. And we're back in just two minutes. It always starts for us uh, with our mission to empower people and organizations. And in this case, it's about healthcare. It's about the patients. It's about doctors. It's about health outcomes. And Nuance and Mark and team have done a fantastic job of taking perhaps the most defining technology of our times, artificial intelligence, applying it in the most critical of industries, healthcare, and uh, doing it also with that platform-first, partner-first approach. And so for us at Microsoft to bring everything that we have done in healthcare over the years and over the decades with Nuance, with partners, is what this deal is all about. That's Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella earlier joining us right after the bell on Microsoft's $16 billion acquisition of Nuance Communications. It's about $20 billion in counting debt. That deal is going to be the second largest in Microsoft's history after LinkedIn. And it leads to discussion, I think, of a few issues, Carl. One, you know, size. Um, <laughs> we can get caught up in what's bigger, AWS or Azure or Google Cloud, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think it matters. I mean, Android's bigger than iOS. Ford is bigger than Tesla. I think what this deal points to in part is the issue of where's the value going to be across industries in AI, in cloud, and what tech company is going to do the better job at addressing those problem-solving value questions with uh, artificial intelligence and and data-based platforms. That's what Microsoft's trying to do here. Yeah, I agree. I think, D, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the players themselves and not the overall nationwide conundrum of driving efficiency in the healthcare system. It's kind of, I think of the Avengers, D, it's kind of like fighting Thanos, and the country needs a couple of Avengers with a Thor hammer and a Captain America shield. This may be one of them. Right, but are they Avengers or are they villains, Carl? I mean, You have to wonder what other tech giant would be able to get this deal done, right? I mean, when you take a look at the scrutiny that Google and Amazon and Facebook and even Apple to an extent are under versus Microsoft, um, it feels very unlikely that they would go out there and try to get a deal of this size done. John, you were saying what other big tech companies are doing this? Salesforce, right? We've seen them on a buying spree. Um, So you're seeing some of the companies that are flying under the antitrust radar really using it to their advantage and splashing out in terms of M&A. But it makes you wonder what the existing tech giants are doing. Are they able to do this organically? Hmm. Um, You know, Apple has Siri. Amazon has done a lot with Alexa. And Microsoft has Cortana, right? Cortana. So that, I believe, is sunsetting on mobile. So is this sort of also a sign that perhaps they couldn't do it organically? I don't know. I mean, I think this is a tried and true enterprise growth strategy 
at certain stages. I don't think Apple would do a deal of this size. I mean, you know, it was a big deal for them when they did that $3 billion deal for, for Beats. I mean, Amazon, they did do pill pack. I mean, sure, they're kind of in the crosshairs right now, might have some trouble doing a deal. But there are still a lot of smaller deals getting done. And some companies, that's just a little bit, Carl, uh, more their speed. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's obviously bedeviled uh, groups like Haven, uh, which Jamie Dimon mentioned the other day in his letter. We'll see how much this moves the needle in that space, guys. By the way, uh, keep your eye on Qualcomm this morning. Evercore uh, downgrades the stock, uh, saying it's had a good run, competition heating up. They think the 5G halo has played itself out. That call and others are only on CNBC.com. We're back in a moment. Tech Check is not just a one-hour show here on CNBC. It is a brand that will have a full digital presence online. And if you're wondering what you can find there, have a peek at this. NFTs, it's the buzzword that investors and collectors are throwing a lot of money at. I like that type of action. Let's get this going. Everyone from artists to musicians to athletes are jumping on the NFT digital bandwagon and they're making loads of real cash in the process. The NFTs are here to stay. I'm just fascinated by all of it. Wherever the NFT market takes us, one thing is for certain. It's gonna be amazing. To the moon and, and, and beyond. <laughs> that full piece is online now. Uh, take out your phone, check this out, and scan this QR code that you see on your screen. It will take you to our website where we will post our signature digital pieces, long-form interviews, extra content, and daily tech briefings. Again, all you got to do is take out your phone and use your camera to scan that QR code, and you will be linked to our brand new website. John, I don't think we've seen the end of NFTs, though. Some of the air has come out of them recently. Uh, no, we haven't. And the barcode works. I just did it, even from far away. Uh, that's going to be <laughs> great. Uh, NFTs only underscoring the general bullishness surrounding crypto overall. The price of Bitcoin footing with another record high this morning, just close to 60,000. And uh, we got the Coinbase debut coming up. A lot more text check is straight ahead. Stay with us. Time for a reality check. Alibaba share is getting a boost this morning despite paying a near $3 billion antitrust fine over the weekend levied against Jack Ma's company for, quote, abusing its dominant position in China's e-commerce sector. Uh, CEO Daniel Zhang says the company does not expect any material impact on the company from the fine. And D, the tape seems to agree, maybe on the notion that the government has had its say and there may be no more surprises coming. Yeah, and I mean, if you take a look at its sister company, Ant Group, you could see how bad sort of the regulation smackdown could be. But in this case, too, you know, state media came out after this decision suggesting that the probe was not a sign of winter is coming, but signaling a new start for the industry. So that would sort of suggest that maybe its work here is done here. Uh, Alibaba can continue to grow and operate mostly as it has been. And John, probably a good sign for some of the other tech giants like Tencent in the country too. Um, sort of lesson learned here, they're going to move on. There were some worries that this could be part of a much wider antitrust crackdown on China's tech giants that have grown to be absolutely enormous, in many cases bigger than even our own tech giants. Yeah, this is fine. <laughs> Love that. That's, that's funny. 
because it's a fine, right? And there's fire from the fund, but but it's really okay. Uh, I, I think th- there is a crackdown happening uh, over due diligence and process in China. Legit, there also seems to be an authority flex going on. You know, Jack Ma was uh, was awfully loose with his opinions a few months ago, and now like folks are wondering where he even is half the time. We know he's okay, but he's certainly not as mouthy, Deirdre. No, and uh, that's a good question, John. I wonder if he's sort of learned his lesson and you're not going to see him be as outspoken. And that's one of the great things about Jack Ma. You can count on hearing sort of the unfiltered truth from him. But after this whole episode, Alibaba and Ant Group, uh, what kind of voice does he become, if any? Moving on, Evercore is bullish on semis ahead of the White House Chip Summit, set to kick off right at the top of the hour, adding Micron, Western Digital, and Marvell Tech to its best ideas list. Meantime, two online dating names getting some love from BTIG this morning, initiating Bumble and upgrading Match, both as buys. Tech Check continues in just a moment. One more thing in today's tech news, live audio startup Clubhouse firing back against claims that it has been hacked. The personal data of 1.3 million users appearing online over the weekend, including details like names, social media handles and number of followers. Clubhouse's official Twitter had this to say, quote, Clubhouse has not been breached or hacked. The data referred to as all public profile information from our app, which anyone can access. Now, this news makes the company the latest, only the latest in a string of high profile data leaks after both LinkedIn and Facebook saw data scraped from their sites and posted online last week. Okay, so Carl, we call this a scrape, but here's the thing. All three of those companies deny that the data was leaked and that there is any problem of any sort. And maybe that's the problem. Uh, yeah, when you can't agree on, on what a hack is, uh, the, the, the semantics around the word hack, uh, then you're having a very difficult trouble uh, trying to regulate, uh, make sure it doesn't happen again. Guys, um, we asked, you answered. Every day we're going to be asking viewers uh, to weigh in on a topic on tech on Twitter. Today's question was, what story in tech does not get enough coverage? Roland writes, cybersecurity. Uh, Nation-state-sponsored cyber threats, IP theft. Tysto Trader points to grid batteries as a focal point. Uh, Ramon says healthcare tech, big story today, obviously, one of the biggest industries needing disruption. Our resident space geek, Mike Sheets, says I'm biased, but space. <laughs> Ivan the K, non-tech CEOs don't get asked enough about their technology budgets and the frustrations and triumphs of their tech spend. Great question, K-Man. And finally, Knapshack uh, ponders the burning question of our time, how a bunch of forest teddy bears at Disney, now Disney, armed with only sticks and a bad attitude, could defeat the highly advanced <laughs> galactic empire in battle. Uh, John, uh, rocks and slingshots, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it just go, it's like open source, really. It's the open source story <laughs> told through Ewoks. Uh, and, and we'll see if that happens again as there's that continuing uh, clash between best of breed and the, the mega scale players. Right now, mega scale seems to be winning. Um, you know, when it comes to those hacks, Deirdre, or really not hacks, I think it comes down to the user. I mean, this is, this is publicly available information that when you sign up for these services, you're putting out there. So, you know, we got to, I know we hate to read the fine print, but you got to read it because, you know, once you put that information together with other information that hackers like, it's bad. But if you don't want them to have it, don't give it to them. 
I don't know. I think that there's beginning to be more of an expectation that tech companies have a job in protecting us, that we don't necessarily have to read all the terms of service. And Carl, you're seeing that a little bit with uh, Apple's new privacy guidelines, Google following suit, Facebook on the other side. But clearly privacy is going to be a big topic as we move forward on this show. Yep. We, we talked about this last week, guys, with Chris Kelly, uh, how the consumer uh, early in early days of tech, John, was not conditioned to ask about privacy. But that is incrementally changing over time in a very big way. Sure is. And uh, let's talk about the week ahead. Uh, before we go, a quick tease of what else is coming up on Tech Check. The CEOs of Slack, Affirm, Airbnb, and a lot more. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern.